to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, WMV fans, it's Megan here, and I'm the owner and sales director of Studio M. We are a fashion sales and marketing company where we represent a ton of amazing jewelry brands. So yeah, for more information, find us on Instagram at Studio M underscore NY. Happy holidays. Hey, WBMB fans, Dylan Farella here, and I'm the director of social media at Talent Resources. We are connecting brands and celebrities every day. For more information, find us on Instagram at Talent Resources. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This week's episode features Jessica Johnson. She is the founder and CEO of Jessica Johnson Beauty. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Cheryl Folland. She is the CEO and founder of Lila B. I hope you enjoy the episodes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am excited to be sitting with Jessica Johnson. She is the founder and CEO of Jessica Johnson Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Well, thank you. Great, great to be here. I'm excited to see you. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. How did we first meet? Remember? Through um, Alex Clyburn. Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah. I've, and I'm not sure exactly. Maybe you guys were on a project together? Yeah, she's a writer. She's a writer. Yeah, yeah. and she worked with us like years, years, I mean, years, years, and years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. She lives in my town. Oh, you're in Maplewood? Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Through Alex. She was, um, she and her husband were, um, our, she was my maid of honor and her husband was my husband's best man in our Oh, wedding. that's so yeah. cool. They're old friend, dear friends. Are you going to see them on this trip? No. Yeah. Pretty busy this trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that leads me to my first question, <laughs> which is how have you spent your day today? Well, I flew in at six this morning. So if I uh, am tongue-tied, <laughs> it's because I'm a little tired from being up too late with my kids last night. So flew in early and um, had my hair done just for to treat myself and then did some work for my hotel room at the Surrey. Uh, and I, I came in a day early to do this with you and we're doing a two-day special event with them uh, Friday and Saturday. So um, let's give some backstory about you and your um, expertise. You're a brow specialist. No. Well, yes and no. <laughs> I didn't start in the business as a brow expert. You didn't? No. No, that came much later. I started actually as a makeup artist. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. a commercial makeup artist? Well, actually, I paid my way through college working for Chanel and working for Lancome, but I grew up performing, so I did my own stage makeup. I really developed a passion for makeup in the theater, first and foremost, um, and then needed a way to make the most money as possible. I paid my way through college and working at a counter, I could I could do that and also fulfill pursuing one of my great dreams, which was being in the beauty industry. And when you were at counters, was that in Maine? No, that was in Sacramento and San Francisco. Oh, that's where you got. Yes. Because now you are in Maine, based in Maine. I'm in Maine, but I'm from Northern California. So you were one of the many people who got their start in the beauty industry working at a department store counter. I did at iMagnon. I don't know if you—do you remember iMagnon? No. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. It was a jewel. It was lovely. It was based out of San Francisco, and um, it was just beloved. And sadly, when it went out of business, and Macy's bought it, I think, or I forget exactly what the transition was. But we were right near Neiman Marcus and Saks, and it was really lovely. And were you really great at working on the floor? I love—I think I was, because <laughs> I loved it. I It was um, a time— 
the industry 30 plus years ago was so different <laughs> and people, those jobs were coveted. There were two of us to align. So there were women just in line to get those jobs. And you first and foremost had to be a makeup artist, not a salesperson. And then you had to go through really rigorous customer training, customer service, and customer care. And that came, that was number one. And I think that level of customer service, it's hard to find now. So that, I think that was what is what made it so special. We became very close friends with our, with our customers. Right. And you were um, a really important destination for the customer. Yes. The... Um, the makeup department at iMagnon was just spectacular. It was just beautiful Italian marble. It was just very elegant, very over the top, and something old glamour Hollywood. So, yeah. And then they then they put an iMagnon into Sacramento, where I went to college, so I could work at the counter there, and then I could also freelance. And um, shopping that way back then... Um you know, right, well, right now, shopping in a store feels like a chore, right? <laughs> That's why I don't go. <laughs> right, right. But back then, it was not a chore, right? It was like a, a pure destination, exciting, right? Like something people wanted to do to go buy new beauty products at the department oh, store. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, you'd go to lunch, you'd go shop. It was enjoyable. Um, it was an, it was an experience. Yeah. And you had a relationship with, with who you were shopping from. So tell us about Jessica Johnson, the company now. Well, so much uh, what I wanted to infuse into this brand uh, very much was what I brought or learned 30 years ago in, in, with that experience. I felt that so much of that kind of attention and service has been lost. And how could it not be with, you know, it's a, become a very crowded, um, I think, a very crowded, noisy and confusing space for the consumer. So versus really going after digital marketing or quantity, I wanted to uh, really anchor my brand in that relationship with the consumer, which is why we built out, I built out a studio in, in Portland, Maine, where I live. We moved there to raise our kids. And so many people said, oh, are, you're crazy. Don't do brick and mortar. Put everything into your product, put everything into digital. And I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to place where women could come in and we could interact and touch them. And how many years have you had that space? Well, this is my third salon, and this is our third year in business there. It's a very different niche concept. It's an uh, open facial bar, and, but it's very elegant and luxurious. So we do eyebrows. We specialize in eyebrows, and we do one 30-minute treatment. Uh, after college, I uh, got out of the industry for a few years, and then when I went back and got my license, I studied aesthetics in Vienna and in Germany. And this is a 30-minute treatment that I learned in a clinic in Vienna, and we, we plugged it into our studio. So. When you say open bar for facials, that means I'm getting my facial next to someone else? Yep. Oh, and we're like, just like at the hair salon getting our hair done next to each other? Exactly. And there's a beautiful open uh, reception area with wine and an espresso machine and Three or four women will come in, and they'll be talking. Everybody will be talking and socializing, and kind of getting off and on the bed. And but they're still receiving a really nice high end treatment. And um, how did the women in that area respond to this idea? Because facials are always behind doors, closed doors, right? Yep. And I and I wanted to do that. I didn't want it to be behind closed doors. I wanted it to be um, well. The, more so, it was I wanted women to women want to get facials. 
but they don't want to spend the time and the money. But I didn't want it to, I didn't want to lower the price or make it an affordable price and compromise the experience or luxury. So um, at first, well, and especially in Maine, it maybe would have, it, it, we're booming now. We're booked out three weeks in advance. But at first, people would have walked in and <laughs> this is, I'm out, lying out in, in a bed in front. But they're cubicles. You know, it's not like, you, you know, you're, you're hidden. Right, but it's not like you're <laughs> naked, right? No. So why, I mean, we're just so used to be being in a cabin with the door shut. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no reason why people can't be touching my face in front of other people. Like, there's nothing really private about that. We're just used to it being private. Yeah, and we did it at the counter when we would have special events, and they still do, and they would just put up like a, a temporary partition. And so it, it didn't seem to be a big deal then. And it's and it's actually not a big deal at all. I it was, it was an easy, easy hurdle to get over. What were some of the initial comments that you'd get from people who were startled by it? Oh, people will see. There, people will be watching me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yes and no. You know, <laughs> if they walk around the side of the wall and look right in at it, so you have you have some um, privacy for sure. But that it that really. I'd say a month in, it really was was not brought up again. So. How much is a thirty minute facial? Sixty five dollars, mm-hmm. and um, that's considerably less than an hour long private room facial. Right. So what? There are three key components in a facial that actually do something to your skin. So we just basically took out all the fluff and mm-hmm. all the extras, mm-hmm. and we we zeroed in on the three key. Um, techniques or three areas that actually do something transformative to the skin. And that's what you get. So you don't get a lot of the extra, you know, if you want a massage, we send you down the street to go get a massage. (laughs) So, and the product line that we developed also, it, it ties in with the studio concept. And our trademark tagline is fewer products, better beauty. So. Right. Because there you're taking out the fluff as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, so um, let's um, talk about the time where you were working at Counters and now you own your own um, facial bar. Um, Why become an entrepreneur in the beauty industry? Where did that idea come from? Well, I was raised in a family of entrepreneurs. Um, Well, nobody in my family, even my extended family, worked for the man. They they all owned their own businesses literally since... um, my grandfather and great-grandfather started the first lumber company in Los Angeles in 1903, I think. So I just grew up in a family that was always self-employed. What were some of the other businesses that people in your family had? Uh, my uncle was had an architecture firm. My father was an architectural ceramicist. He was an artist. He had his own studio. What does that mean, an architectural ceramicist? They He created, like, the first handmade pottery sink custom hand-thrown sinks on wheels in the 70s that were all with the great glazes and carvings. And he was an art professor before he went into business for himself. So it's ceramics specifically to go in and work with architects that um, work along with the architectural design of the home specifically. And both of them were big fans of Frank Lloyd Wright and that style of architecture. So he worked a lot with his brother, um, my aunt was an interior designer, so she had her own firm in San Francisco. Let's see what else. Um, mostly in the arts. Mm-hmm. So it's not, if, not in my field. They, 
that was a rough road with my family getting into the beauty business. In what way? Um, they, uh, it wasn't what they considered intellectual enough. They were a little perplexed that I was drawn to something like this. I think they had this image of, well, my dad always said, you know, women that have long nails sit around and eat bonbons all day. You know, it, it was just not, it, it just wasn't, it was not something that was important in my family. Mm-hmm. And why do you think you were drawn to it? Uh, because I think there's, uh, beauty is is art. I mean, fashion is art. The way you look at a beautiful woman, a woman who is beautifully put together, that that to me is a work of art in itself. And I think my dad, as I uh, started to, to work in the business more and more, he, he turned a corner. He saw it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, you are an artist through and through when you're a makeup artist. I mean, um, the canvas is more complicated. The canvases change. They evolve. They sweat, right? Like this is very different than or more challenging necessarily than on walls or canvas. Definitely. And you've got a whole, and I, I evolved into doing print and some video and some television, and that's a whole other level of um, artistic creation, you know, artistic expression, because you're dealing with a crew and personalities and, yeah. So, um, was the commercial aspect of being a makeup artist not that exciting to you, like working on sets? Oh, I uh, no, I loved it. I loved it. Um, But I wanted to work for myself. Mm -hmm. So, um... What drove you to that point, right? It's like, you know, becoming an entrepreneur is not really that easy decision, right? Mm-hmm. Giving up, like, a salary somewhere else or work somewhere else, um, being confident in your idea. So what really pushed you to that decision? Well, when I, when I finished my degree, um, feeling some pressure from my family, I thought, oh, I better go get a, a real job, a big person's job. And I had an opportunity to go to work for the governor of California at a college, which was a pretty big opportunity at that age, 22 years old. So I took it, and um, I worked for him for a few years, and then I transferred to his office on the Hill because I wanted to have um, a broader experience. I wanted to have a Hill experience that was really important in that world. And about six months on the Hill was about, <laughs> if you want to know exactly the pivotal point, it just wasn't me. I wasn't cut out to work in in that world. And I didn't even think to go look in another direction. I My immediate gut reaction was, I want to go back to the beauty world. And I wasn't exactly sure in what, in what capacity at that point. And I remember reading an article about a young entrepreneur in uh, New York named Marcia Kilgore. And she had just, um, I think her first place was called Let's Face It. Mm-hmm. And that she started it off of, out of a side bedroom, if I'm remembering this correctly. I hope I don't. Uh, and I just thought, wow. And, and what I liked about what she was doing was the spa world traditionally was more for the ladies that could afford it, could afford the time and the money. And she made it very um, accessible and fun. And uh, I thought, wow, I think this world's going to change. I think this is going to become more mainstream than the Red Door or Georgette Klinger or, you know, places like that. And she did it. I mean, she she's one of my idols in the industry. So once I read that, I didn't even know you could specialize in skincare at that point. I thought, and I, by the way, 
where I had to end up going to school, I had to go through the whole cosmetology program to get a license. So I had to do hair and everything. But I just wanted to be an aesthetics expert to go along with my makeup. And I still didn't really know exactly what I was going to do with it at that point. I just wanted to be in the industry, and I wanted to work for myself. Right. So inspiration by Marcia, getting um, your license to be an esthetician. What mm-hmm. happened next? Um, oh, I was still in D.C., and um, once I finished school, my family, they were all in the Bay Area, and I wanted to go back to California, so I moved back to San Francisco, and I worked as a hair assistant <laughs> because you couldn't, get any advanced education in skincare. I think I think the International Dermal Institute was just spreading their wings. She was uh, she was an incredible uh, visionary as well. She saw that opportunity to for advanced uh, post licensing education. But anyway, it was very hard to get an advanced education. But um, I was introduced uh, the hair the hairdresser I was assisting. <laughs> which is a horrible job. Every time I see an assistant now, I, I go hug them <laughs> because it's a very, very hard job. But um, the, the one of the, uh, there was a woman, her name was um, Georgina Acosta, and she was from Chile, and she was trained in Vienna, and she was the Elizabeth Arden of San Francisco. And I, she was looking for a, an assistant slash apprentice. So, so your hair, the hair sauce you were working for knew her? Knew her. Mm-hmm. And he pulled me aside and he said, you're really good with hair, but you're really not cut out for the hair world, this part of the industry. You really belong in skincare. And so he introduced me to her and I went to work for her. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And she really taught me everything. And then she introduced me to a pretty famous dermatologist named Kathy Fields, Dr. Kathy Fields. And she was just starting her practice in San Francisco and just formulating proactive, just starting to formulate it. So when I opened my first studio in San Francisco, she was unbelievable. She sent me her patients. She gave me a lot of support. She gave me a lot of, she'd invite me to lectures at UCSF and really took me under her wing. So I had some really, I'm grateful for some great mentors along the way. So you had your own spa? I had a skincare studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, um, I wanted to, I didn't want a full spa at that point. I wanted to, Georgina, the woman that trained me, she was strictly skincare. And funny, with coming back to how I got into eyebrows, her entire philosophy was I can make your skin gorgeous, but if your eyebrows don't look right and you have a hairy upper lip, <laughs> nobody's going to notice your great skin. So you couldn't, she didn't have a menu. You would go in and it was, it it just said skincare treatment. And everybody got brows, lip wax, and her facial. Interesting. So she would decide if she liked your brows or not? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Did she like your brows? She she did. And she taught me, I had learned how to do brows as a makeup artist, but she really was a master at it before it it my gosh who thought it would become such a huge part of the industry now but she was the place to go for eyebrows you have a nice thick thick bold brow is that the brow you've always had yep mm-hmm. i love a bold brow yeah I'd, it's it's a 
everybody that comes to me, uh, I see brow clients here in New York as well. And that's my signature look for every everybody. I tell them, keep your brows full. It's far more youthful. Imagine that um, she didn't like a bold brow and she gave you thin brows and you had to suffer through that. Because <laughs> it happens. Oh, I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're in tears because... Over the years, they've gone to people and they their brows have been thinned out. Mm-hmm. But that's why the first product I came out with with my brow bar was a, uh, well, we can't call it a growth serum, a conditioning serum. Mm-hmm. But it does grow your brows and lashes. So you had your um, studio in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You did? How many years did you have that? So the first studio I had was on um, Sutter Street. Oh, my gosh. It was a jewel. It was great. We had three little treatment rooms. We had a beautiful perfumery. It looked like when you walked in, you were walking into a Parisian perfumery candle shop, and then, which is very typical of a lot of the skincare clinics in Europe. And then in the back, you'd have your treatment rooms. And we had three treatment rooms. We did facials. You could have a manicure, pedicure during your facial. That's cool. It was great. And um, then we had, I hired a woman from Brazil who was this master body waxer because body waxing was becoming so big. That was it. Again, we were very, we were small, but we were very specialized in what we did. And And how many years did you have that business? So I had that business for three years and we were so busy that I thought, oh, well, if this is going great, uh, we should get bigger and we should become full service, right? So an opportunity came up uh, to purchase a salon that was for sale in further down into Union Square in this hot, uh, in this great prime location. So I bought, I took, I bought a full service salon and tried to infuse my successful little skincare clinic into that, and it did not go well. It was. It was a really great lesson in business about growing too fast, taking on more than you should too soon, and but more importantly, getting away from your core passion and focus, that it, staying really focused on what you love to do first and foremost will always serve you much better in the long run than trying to be everything to everybody. And how long did it take for you to realize this was not going well? Oh, two years. Mm-hmm. Well, two. I take that back. My, I had four years on Sutter Street. Yeah, two years. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Uh, well, every 9-11 happened and Union Square shut down. Um, I, I got into um, a lawsuit with a hairstylist that was, I mean, that, that those can be very costly. And then in 02, the, you know, the dot-com crash happened. So everybody's businesses, they were, we were just slowly, slowly slowing down. And my lease came up, and I had a good opportunity. It was like, okay, well, I'm not going to renew my lease, and that was that. Mm-hmm. And did you um, beat yourself up about this? Like, what was your attitude while these, like, Things weren't working out. Oh, I moved to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Your therapy was picking up and leaving? (laughs) Like you told your husband and your children, I can't deal with this anywhere we're leaving? We didn't have children yet. uh I thought, well, maybe 
some, maybe this is a sign that now it's, oh, that's right, I'm 38, maybe I should have a child, and, uh, yeah. But, like, really? <laughs> yeah. You, you were like, this stinks, this isn't going well, I'm getting sued by a hairstylist, I'm losing business, I can't afford to do this, so let's move? And, it was, I closed at first because it was, I, I, it was failing. I mean, I couldn't get out from underneath the hurdle, and I, I was really really coming apart at the seams over. It was bad. I was just not, it was just every day. When, you know, I got into this industry to get up every day and love what I do. And that is not what was happening. So once I closed it, my husband grew up near Boston. He summered in Maine. And uh, we had a summer home there. And so he's like, let's just move to Maine. I said, okay. And I really, it took me, um, it took me six months of just really licking my wounds and feeling really, really sorry for myself. So you did take it personal, like you, oh. you like blamed yourself and all that kind of stuff. Ever all of mm-hmm. all of the above, mm-hmm. as harsh as you could be on yourself. That I, yeah, I asked Check. because you're so mellow about it now. <laughs> like obviously, like we romance the past. It's easier when it's far away from us, but. I mean, I know that I would have um, blamed myself and all my mistakes and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, I've done that in the past, too. So, um, it's, Oh, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Friends wouldn't. They're like, oh, let's just stay away from her. For a <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't find you because you moved to me. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but you, failure is so underrated. And you don't realize it at the time what a huge gift that it is because... There's no way I would be operating and doing what I'm doing right now with this new business had I not gone through that. Mm-hmm. Right, of course. No I mean, doubt. it's so hard to appreciate these um, challenges. I learned to call them opportunities, right? When the, <laughs> when things really stink, they're opportunities because the universe, I, I truly believe the universe is putting these things in front of me because I need to learn it, right? I, lean, I need to learn from it. Something There's some aspect of this that um, is going to help me later because something bigger is coming. Um, but you know, I only learned that recently. Like I've been in plenty of rabbit holes where I just blame myself and I told myself that I'm not no good at what I do. And there's, you know, no, no possibility that I'm going to succeed. And then what do you do? To, um, to well, now out? I've been in therapy for 13 years. <laughs> I have three different business <laughs> coaches, <laughs> you know, so like it takes a village to keep my head screwed on, but like I'm learning, like I've really evolved as a human being to the point where like, um, I don't worry as much, um, Things that are not in my control, I accept that they're not in my control. Um, but I know what I I know how I can solve problems. And when I solve problems, I feel like a superwoman. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm like, okay, well, this needs my attention right now in the business. A client's unhappy. The work's not going well. I know now with confidence that I can turn this around. Um, if the client's still not happy, that I can't take responsibility for that. I know that I can put my hundred percent plus in and solve this problem. So, mm-hmm. um, and I also realized that like clients coming and going have, um, their decision to leave us as an agency has nothing to do with us. Like we do great work. We're nice people. We're responsive. Like, so their decision to pull work is their decision is n- not, has nothing to do with our work, um, or who we are. And, um, I believe that now I, I used to not believe that though, of course, I like, you know, I shit it on myself all the time, you know, <laughs> like I would talk to myself and tell myself that I'm, you know, not worthy. Yeah. yeah why are why, I would, um, but I think it's really important. And I think one of the things I admire most about what you're doing with this podcast is being vulnerable and sharing your story is so, is the biggest gift to give to somebody else. 
because then, gosh, then maybe they if 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 what I went through can help me in the long run and help somebody else, that's huge. That's yeah, I huge. um I think that honesty is the most is one of like my core values, like just being honest. Like I, me telling you about how things don't work out well for me or how like you know I don't have money falling out of my pockets doesn't change like anything like me telling you that is good because then you're going to be honest with me and I'm going to put less pressure on myself right yeah to some sort of like ideal standard that I invented in my head um I've been to too many events in this business where I felt like less than oh. because everybody wants to just fake their way through things I'm feeling that way I've been in the industry almost 30 years and with the way the industry is now I'm it's very hard for me I'll go to events or I'll be in situations and I'm thinking, I've been doing this 30 years. And I wish these new young brands and entrepreneurs great success. I do. But you start to just think, my gosh, wow. I've been doing a lot of things right for a long time. But then you take a step back and somebody maybe, you know, this two-year overnight success comes up. You're like, what am I doing wrong here. You can't do that to yourself. Yeah, it's really hard. You can't. I, I think it's so important to stay in your lane, right? <laughs> and um, also, like, people who are starting brands that don't have um, a history in the business, they're not encumbered by that old stuff, mm -hmm. right? So they just see what they see, the white space, the way they see it. Um, they're not hampered by the garbage and the baggage, and they can move through things lighter and easier in many ways mm -hmm. than someone who's like, well, Lauder didn't do it this way 30 years ago. Should, should, I, should I do this? It feels weird because it's not what I was taught, right? It's really hard to unravel yes. um, and know what to ignore from the past because some of this stuff just is not relevant anymore. No, but that's why everybody said, tried to talk me out of a brick and mortar. But now I'm feeling that it was the right, really was the right move because I'm seeing digital brands starting a pop-ups and brick and mortar because we're in the beauty industry. We, the, the customer at a certain point wants to, they want our expertise and our touch and our advice live. I, I, maybe I'm still, I mean, I'm just too old, but I do really believe that. <laughs> well, what you have in the, in the studio is a lab, right? Uh -huh. And you have um, clients who are, you know, going to give you honest feedback. And you're going to be able to call them if they don't come back and you can ask them, well, why didn't you come back? Well, you know, what didn't work out for you? So it really is an incredible um, playground for insights. Well, it was um, a great um, place to do a lot of the research and development for my product line. Definitely. So tell us um, with the last few minutes we have um, mm. what your goals are. Oh, that you know, went fast. <laughs> I know. It does go fast, Gosh. right? It's like so easy. Um, well, you know, you get to talk about yourself. <laughs> It's really nice. <laughs> nice and not, not so nice. It does. Anyway. Um, so, you know, what are your goals? You know, every time you and I have spoken, it's been a little bit about, like, where should I go? What should I, direction should I steer in? Um, what do you want to do? Like, what, what's your vision for this business? Well, uh, when I wrote the business plan on this business uh, in 08, 09, uh, I was a women's studies major in college. I know, another thing that doesn't really fit with the beauty industry. but. Um, it just, I, I kept hearing this mission statement in my head about liberating women from expensive, time-consuming beauty routines that help women really want to feel and look beautiful and take good care of themselves. But um, 
they really want to do it in the least amount of time and money and fuss. And especially, um, am I am I answering your question? Yeah, I hope. I'm yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah, no, I am like, I get lost. Um, so the demographic or the consumer we're targeting is the, um, is, I don't want to call them old, I'm 52, I don't want to say older, but, you know, the woman that's already gone through all that and she wants really elegant, high-quality products, but she's just not sold by all the hype. She's she's secure and she's confident and she's liberated and she she wants to she's got really better she wants she wants to be beautiful she wants to be really smart about it though and so that's what I want to bring through our products so that women can I also would like to infuse back into it some of the understated elegance that I came up in the business with and I believe we've done that so how are you going to grow this business and find that customer uh, they're all going to walk into my studio, right? All of them in Maine. <laughs> all of them in Maine. No. So how we're doing. <laughs> um, well, we have a, a collaboration with the Carlisle, which I've had since I started the business for five years, and that's given us some great exposure in the brow area. Now we're collaborating with the Surrey Hotel for two-day special skincare events. Um, and we're circling back now that we are selling it and really launched it through our website, we're going to start doing uh, we're going to start doing a lot more educational informational videos right out of our studio where we can talk to the consumer directly through you know online that's one that's that's our immediate plan so you know what um you know I'm thinking about is every time I've met you and talked with you or you know looked at your work or your products um, elegance is really important, right? Like, it is very clear to me that you are saying, like, we don't need to be, like, cutesy or bubbly or everything pink or, you know, whatever the other trend is. Like, you are so secure in this sense of, like, elegance from um, a personal style perspective, but also um, the communication, like, personal part of your business. Um, and I think that's one part of your lane, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, if you continue sticking with it and letting the customer who loves that love it, right? And it's not going to be for everybody. Some people just want edgy or some people just want pink, mm-hmm. right? But if it, the customer who just wants like this kind of um, quiet elegance, they'll be really happy. They And that's what we're getting back from the clients that have bought the product and experienced the service. Just when you say fewer products, better beauty, they, they oh, that, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Because... Mm-hmm. They're a little exhausted, I think, by the industry. And I love how the partnerships you have with the um, the local hotel spas in the city, they reflect that. You know, they're like completely in that lane, right? It's the brand, the brand alignment is perfect for you. Well, I wasn't looking for it, but um, Eve DeReef, who's the stylist at the Carlisle, I met him by chance and I just had such an immediate uh, respect for him as... He's just the style that that French stylist, that classic that you just don't find anymore. And he's so committed to what he does. And I thought, I don't really know what we're going to do here exactly. I just want to be with around him and around this environment. So, yeah, just kind of take it as it comes. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story with us today and your honesty. Thanks. I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jessica. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.